0: Uh, welcome for another podcast of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. Today, our topic is don't sweat the small stuff. And I just kind of had this epiphany moment as I was sweating, something that I now, in retrospect, think is um, the small stuff in you know my life, raising my uh, special needs family. And so it made me kind of go back and think about years of, of sweating small stuff that I look back now, because as I mentioned to my guests, I've been now doing the autism parenting journey for for a decade. I just look at some of the time and energy I spent sweating the small stuffs in years past. And so I thought maybe we could do a podcast talking about things that in hindsight, you know, you wish you wouldn't have had spent energy stressing over so that anyone listening might have perspective about it may resonate with you, or maybe we'll talk on a topic that you're sweating and having some anxiety about. And in the long run, we have come to some perspective of, of wishing that we didn't put so much energy and stressing over those things. So I'm going to start with my guest, David.
1: Um, Just to reintroduce, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. Uh, My daughter is 13 years old now, a uh, middle schooler now. Her name is Morgan. She has autism diagnosed 10 years ago. One thing you said, Holly, is as far as the guidance for people who might be newer to this and, you know, for me to express, you know, don't sweat this or this, I think you have to go through it first. I think there has to be a period of like, I can sit here and tell you all day long, don't sweat this, this, and this, but I have the benefit of 10 years experience now with this, where somebody who's newer to this, what I'll say is I understand exactly why you're feeling that way. And I completely felt that way too. What I can tell you, it's been my experience that as we went through, it got easier and easier. And I'm hoping that's the case for you. Uh, that being said, I mean, I think it is imminently more important as we're coming out of a pandemic in which we've all been clustered together way too close to our family for too long. I I know myself, I lost a lot of perspective on what the big things and what the little things were, because, you know, as a parent, I didn't have a frame of reference of telling the kids, oh, you know, on top of all the issues that you're going through, including being isolated and including sometimes your parents being so tuned out that we'd let you be on your iPad 26 hours a day um, on top of all these other things. Oh, you know, you're also going through a pandemic. I mean, my youngest daughter called me out on this a week ago. I was talking to her about some of her anxiety issues. She's Like, yeah, but you've never done this in a pandemic. <laughs> like, I, I, I confess I have it. So that being said, The sense of normalcy that I've had to engage in is just getting them out of whatever our kind of rut routine is, distract ourselves from what's going on out there. I don't know what a little thing or what a big thing is, but just like what Taylor said coming into this. The whole appearances thing, how how things appear to the outside world. I'm sorry, I just don't give two shits anymore. In fact, you know, I was picking my youngest daughter up from somewhere last night and I heard in a minivan just a a young, young girl screaming holy terror for like five minutes straight. And I didn't react. I didn't flinch. I had nothing but sympathy because it's just like, you know what? I've been there. And even that becomes a little thing in that you just kind of become desensitized to it. What, what I've done to kind of offset me stressing over little things is when I'm in the presence of either one of the girls, I have made sure that I am entirely focused on them. I put all the distractions out of the way, be it my phone. I, I take my phone out of my hand. I put down anything that's distracting to me and I make sure that I am present for them because maybe some of you have experienced that as they get older, you have less and less opportunities to do that because they want less and less of your time because they want you to leave them alone. So when they give you the opportunity for some kind of interaction, you have to be, I have to be very present. I have to make sure that the time I give them isn't, you know, even if it's two minutes quality time. Um, but you know, as Taylor was saying again, and I think the caffeine has got me scattered as far as, as far as, you know, what I'm saying here, but, um, It just, the whole thing, I just, what the outside world, you know, what the observer, what the person in the store, what, you know, if there's a cataclysmic meltdown anymore, I just sit there and own it. Like, yep, this is us. This is me. This is my family. And this is what we're doing right now. You know, if it doesn't agree with you, that's on you, not me. I don't need to own your stuff. I don't need to own your opinion about what's going on with our stuff. But it really, and just to kind of pile onto this thing, it even reinforced even more so recently. And this is the first time I'm bringing this to any of your attention, but uh, Morgan has now been presented with seizures. The first one was two weeks ago. The second one was three days ago. And it's not uncommon for kids with autism. And it's certainly not uncommon, I guess, for kids with autism, they're going through puberty, but the first time you see it, it rocks your world. And so I mean, resetting what's important and what's not when I'm in the you know, car with my daughter, not knowing if this is a life-threatening situation on the phone with 911. And then coming away from that, it's just like, okay, a new perspective, a new dose of you know what's important and what's not, the little thing, you know, and all, all the little things, all the little secrecies, all the little insecurities in my head about whether I'm doing a good enough job here, this, that, and the other you know, it's just like, let's just celebrate the fact that we're all here. We're all present. We're all together.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Taylor, I think you have uh, something you want to piggyback on that.
2: I actually have to ask David a question because I'm having some similar experiences with Skylar. I just haven't really talked about it with anyone. Cause I just, I'm kind of scared to go to a doctor and waste time. Things have just been crazy um, lately, but, uh, my daughter is actually starting to have ticks. Um, if you know what, like she, she shakes her head a lot. She just does this at first. I thought it was her hair or her glasses, but whether you take them on or off, she still does that just does the shaking and the sometimes she'll tremble too. And of course, you know, Google's never a good place to go to when you're, you know, <laughs> have worries, but. I, of course I still did it. And, um, they, she said, uh, and Google said those could be introductory to seizures or it could be a, m- a bunch of other things. Like it could be, a it could be a reaction to her medication or it could be maybe her per- eye prescription, but it's just, it's, it's just a bunch of those things, but it's just, I'm kind of starting to experience those things firsthand, you know? I got, you know, she had ticks a while back, but then they stopped. So I'm going, okay, well, maybe that was just a phase. And then they came back. I'm just trying to make sure I'm prepared. And I'm sorry if this was, is recorded. I'm, I just, it's just, I just, it just kind of relate what you said related
1: to me. So, the, uh, okay. So first in order to go back, I think this feeds right into the topic, Taylor, because sweating the little things is also, am I being overreactive? What's a doctor going to say? Well, this is your child. This is your experience. And I have no problem going in front of a doctor right now and saying, maybe I am being an overreactive paranoid parent, but you know, this is also an issue with kids um, with this condition, with autism, with whatever. And I just want to, if, if I'm being overreactive, if I'm being paranoid, I'm going to err on the side of caution. And so put, um, for me, it would be like, put aside that little thing of how I appear in front of a doctor and nurse. Am I appearing, you know, Panicky, paranoid. I don't care anymore. I don't care. This is my child. So, you know, whatever it could you, you know, they might be medical experts, but you're an expert on your child. And so that's to me, that's the difference. Um, We saw some minor activity years ago, we got tested and it was kind of ruled out as maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't appear that she's presenting with seizure activity. That's the best information they had at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now we know but I, I don't think as a parent and especially, you know, as a parent of a special need child, you know, you've got to advocate for your child. You've got to, they're not always right. Um, the medical community is not always right. Cause just like any profession, including mine, you have various levels of quality of care. You know, mm-hmm. some are great. Some are okay. Some are not so good. And so and we've had that experience in treating, you know, Morgan. And so again, to tie back to the subject, I I just, my, my recommended course is one of the little things is don't worry what people think, including the medical community, your family, your call.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, but I, my son, Tyler has Tourette, So he does not have autism, which is a little side story to this. May I just digress a little bit because, well, it's my podcast and I can, but my son, Tyler, who is 17 years old has Tourette's and he has had Tourette's since he was in like the first grade, second grade. It's hard for me to tell because he was in a combo class. And so he had the same teacher for three years. So it was between kindergarten and third grade or second grade that he was identified as having Tourette. So Tourette's is a disorder. It's a tick disorder. So I have had, well, Tyler's, you know, 17 years old. I have a lot of experience with ticks. So I'll, circ- I'll ta- circle back with you at the end because I can talk to you a little bit about ticks. And Isaac had a seizure disorder. So I also am one of those unfortunate parents that has had to win. Witness your child have a grand mal seizure. It's the most terrifying experience ever. And so, we'll, I can talk to you a little bit about the ticks and and you know that sort of thing, so you can decide. I think you still need to follow up with the doctor just so that it's documented. Some of it is that Tourette's is kind of a nuisance for Tyler. He's now um, is much more open about his Tourette's, and that brings me to my story of last night. So Tyler has decided that it is important that he tell his employer because he just got a job with Panera ding 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 so I'm giving them a shout out thank you for employing my son Tyler um at Panera but he just got this job at Panera and so he was very open with them and said listen I have Tourette's and he thought they should know because sometimes when he has a tick it does cause him to like shake and do weird body jerk things and um he did I think a week ago lost control of a burrito because it ended up a tick ended up destroying the burrito or the salad or something that he had made the sandwich that he had made so the poor sandwich was a, uh, a just a unfortunate victim in one of his Tourette tics but he was open with a new coworker he was working with last night about the fact that he has Tourette's and the whole time during their shift she kept asking him you know do you need pictures um do you understand the instructions can you read this okay do you want me to help you and Tyler was just like no like I'm fine I got this We'll come to Find out this young lady that he was working with, which is a teenager, misunderstood that Tourette's and like autism are two different things. Tyler does not have autism; he doesn't need visual supports in order to like assemble his sandwiches and his salads. That his tics, you know, that Tourette's is actually tics, and sometimes he'll make loud noises, you know, like that will startle you. And he was just like, "Can you believe that? Like, how can somebody not know the difference between autism and Tourette's?" And I'm like, you know what? I was just impressed with this young lady who is a peer was trying to help Tyler and asking him, do you need pictures? Is there anything I can do for you? Do you need help? Can you know, like, do you understand like the steps and Tyler? And so anyway, I took it as a like, wow, we are making progress with our young generation that they are, you know, like supportive of individual differences. Unfortunately, she just didn't know the difference between Tourette's and autism, which was kind of funny. I I got a good chuckle from it. Um, And Tyler did too, after the fact, he says, well, it makes it a lot, makes a lot more sense as to why she was, you know, trying to be so, overly helpful. But anyway, so, so Taylor, I am happy to connect with you afterwards and we can talk a little bit about like the ticks and how it's, um, you know, the neurodiversity element of that. But, um, what was the other point that you were going to make Taylor? Well, I just, um, and I
2: also need to not be as worried about going to doctor because, you know, at first, you know, as a parent, sometimes you think things are in your head, but, uh, her teacher point it actually hurt teacher and re, she's got a teacher and she's got a, another resource person that helps her out they both and her and her counselor so three school adults staff that work with Skylar noticed that and said hey you know Skylar's really she's doing really well in school she's she's doing the best she can and sh, it's just these kind of sort of affect her and she goes there they when they kind of notice it so you know I kind of have their backup." Too. i i mean i'm sure if a teacher notices it i'm going well maybe it is time to go to a doctor for teachers are pointing it out as or noticing it too and i'm not the only
0: one yeah no i would definitely say follow up with the doctor and um i am happy to kind of you know ex- walk you through what to expect when you start down that road so um, it just
2: makes me sad because like i i almost cr- like i i almost cried because my you know at first i, I felt bad because i thought she was just being a little you know, I had a heart or I had a we have our days where, you know, us parents kinda get irritated and stuff, and I'm like, Can you please stop moving? And and then she cries saying, mom, I can't help it. And I felt so bad. Like she cried and I, we cried together and it was just, it was emotional. So, but I anyways,
0: I will be the first one to tell you that, um, you know, when you talk about don't sweat the small stuff that applies to my son, Tyler, because I have had many years of just dealing with his Tourette's in public. Yeah. One of his tics at, um, at, at one point in his life, cause his tics change was this kissing noise. It was this, Okay. So that was one of his tics. And I didn't think anything of it until we were at a baseball game and he was behind this like um, couple holding hands and Tyler started doing that <laughs> behind them. And the guy turned around and started like in on Tyler because he thought he was being just, dis- you know, like just crude and disrespectful to his girlfriend. And I was just like, whoa, stop. Like, you know, he has, tra- he can't stop. And then, of course, the more ang- anxiety he gets, the more he does it. The the worse it gets. And so yeah. it's a vicious cycle for him. And so, you know, and then, he had one in middle school that was excuse me. And, um, teachers don't like that very much because they were just like, Oh really? Well, how about you excuse yourself down to the principal's office? So all sorts of fun stuff I've dealt with over the years, but you know, it's funny because early on, it really stressed me out about going places and having people misunderstand some of his tics. So that's Mm -hmm. one of those things where again, I am, you know, there, and I will be the first one to tell you, Taylor, that some of his tics drive me absolutely up the wall, especially, you know, when there are utterances and you're trying to watch a movie and he's making some of these tick noises um, constantly through the movie. But, you know, we embrace it as a family and it's just one of our spicy little differences that just make our family super awesome compared to everybody else's. So, but anyway, we'll talk about that off the record. So I'm excited to hear like, what are some of the small stuff that you may have sweated in the past that you just now look back and have perspective on?
3: Um, I was gonna add that my son has a motor tick disorder, so he's very ticky as well. When I first started noticing something was wrong, we um had moved from Fort Lewis to Germany. And I just thought I was a horrible parent, like why does my kid cry all the time? What is wrong with me? And I just broke down and started calling numbers until I got connected with Edis, which is early intervention. And And that was in
0: Germany, Nicole. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he didn't qualify for early intervention, but he wound up getting help along the way. I was really caught up in not wanting him to look different or not wanting people to think he was a bad kid. Um, so if he was screaming or screeching, just not wanting to put a label on him, but then also not wanting, not wanting to look like a bad parent who just can't control their kid. I don't worry about that as much anymore. When we visit family, it gets difficult because they'll make comments. I'm mm-hmm. um, raised in the South, so they make those comments. And I've gotten to the point where I read something that said, if you wouldn't ask someone for advice, don't take their criticism either. Good, for, that's a great quote. I love that. So I don't really go through and explain it to people unless I feel as though it will help. Um, and then if they make uneducated comments I just walk away from it um they're not in his life enough to make a difference and that was a big thing that even the past few months I've gotten better at his dad um was very against me getting help for him and very against the special needs label and that was a lot of fights with that I mean he and I left and I moved across the ocean with the kid and I've just gotten to the point where even with his dad if he's not comprehending what's going on I don't care anymore I'm advocating for my son and it's my top priority I guess so I'm not sweating the opinions other people
0: have so do you sweat the label because you know you were concerned early on about the label and what that that it might be limiting do you sweat that or have a different perspective on that
3: so I have kind of the opposite problem I don't know how to word it but I kind of joke around and say he has almost autism because he's somewhere on the spectrum but he shows like if you're filling out the autism paperwork and I don't know there's like five categories he lights up two of them like a Christmas tree two of them completely nothing at all and the other one like hit or miss so he has a lot of the markers for autism but then he has all of this other stuff going on he has a ton of diagnoses and if a kid is having a meltdown in the middle of an airport, like hitting, kicking, screaming, biting. And you say, like, just give him space. He has autism. People are like, oh, OK. But then if you say my kid has ADHD, they just immediately like disregard, like, oh, there's a parenting problem there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've had issues with. And I don't care as much anymore. Moving in August kind of forced me to grow up a lot and just not care what people think.
0: Yeah, I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um you I think you, 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 I appear to be very much younger than I am, but I have to say that I finally in my forties, David, I don't know when you got to this point where once I hit 40, I, all of a sudden my, my concern of what other people thought completely diminished. Like I don't care what anybody thinks about anything. And I also don't have any issue with holding people accountable for judgmental statements or perspectives. Um, because my, um, don't give a shit meter i guess maybe expired when i turned i was
1: forward. about to use that same term give
0: a shit oh, really? meter yes yeah, I, I completely lost
1: my i don't know i don't know where it went
0: that's exactly it and i don't know why at 40 i just all of a sudden the meter just expired and then all of a sudden it's like i just feel very liberated about the not giving to who it's about a lot when it comes to people making judgments taylor what were you going to say to that it, it's it's like in the guardian of the
2: galaxy when uh peter quill was winding up his middle finger and he's like it's broken
0: yeah exactly that's exactly it so like i said it just somewhere along the way and it was around like 40 ish that all of a sudden i became less concerned about things because i feel like i definitely stress out about a lot more in those and i've gone back and forth on the label myself and so i am i appreciate your perspective because you know i was you, you get you become concerned about labor labels limiting the potential of your child not Uh, and not being any fault of their own. It's because of other people's perspective of what individuals are with these different diagnoses. And so it's the damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, I, and so we've actually done a podcast on, you know, to share your child's diagnosis or not to share your child's diagnosis. And, you know, early on, you know, I had, I've tried it both ways. And so now I'm just of the, maybe again, it's my give a shit meter broke. And so I don't, I am an overshare because I feel like the more information I can give people about my son, Caleb then they're held more accountable for trying harder to meet his needs because he does need some accommodations that are not unreasonable. So I have a list of things that I, so if I'm going to list some of my things that I no longer, I used to stress out and I used to care a lot about, and now I don't. So I'm going to kind of go through my list and then you guys tell me where you fall on it. I used to, and Taylor, you mentioned before I hit the record button that you stress out about your daughter's um, morning routines are hard. And so you stress, out or used to stress out about your daughter and her hair before she would go to school. And I used to be that way. So back up, my daughter is my youngest child. So she's like my last kid of the four, but I will tell you backing up to when I had Isaac and Tyler and Isaac Tyler were little, their cousins were twins. And so I inherited a lot of their clothing. And of course they were twinsy things. So they would be like matching clothing. Maybe it was like this shirt was red and stripes and this one's blue and stripes and then maybe the same pants. And Isaac and Tyler were just 11 months apart, but Tyler was very big for his age and Isaac was very little for his age. So they ended up being the same size. So it worked out really well that I had all of these hand-me-down twins clothes, but they would oftentimes wear the same clothing but have just slight variations and i used to spend a lot of time looking and analyzing to see which one like was in better condition because i figured i should put isaac in the one that was like a little nicer and tyler in the one that maybe like had you know maybe like a uh, you know rip in the, in the seam or something like an armpit because i figured that socially try a trailer because he was neurotypical would be able to overcome the slight you know imperfection in his clothing whereas um isaac because of his autism like he, we should put him in the nicer clothes because we have a bigger obstacle to overcome when it comes to him like you know interacting the world isn't that the most preposterous thing that you actually i mean to me it's like the energy that i spent in analyzing the clothes and deciding okay so which shirt should i put on which of the boys because i was concerned with just trying to make isaac look the best that we could because he had overcome more obstacles. And then when you were commenting about the hair, when Kelly was little, she has long hair and I didn't have to deal with doing a little girl's hair until Kelly came along. Um, And I have to be honest with you now, like some of the stuff that like some of the things I, I, I usually just put the rat's nest in a messy bun. Messy bun became like the salvation of my life or just pull it back in a ponytail and try and pull some of the nice hair that's not ratted over the top of it to hide the rat's nest in the middle of the hair tie. But I just like, again, I don't care anymore. It's like, you know, Hey, it is what it is. You know, she wanted long hair. I decided to let her have long hair, but if she couldn't brush it out and I didn't have time to brush it out, I wasn't going to sweat it anymore. So Taylor girl, I'm with you.
2: It's funny because it's like, uh, I swear, you know, my, my child's not dying and there's no exorcism going on in here. It's just, we're just trying to make it through the morning. Yeah. So it's just, you. it just sounds like the, the exorcist, like the, yeah. and it's just, but, you know, this morning I'm just like, you know what, your bangs may be flipping a little bit, but if you don't care, if you're fine with it, then and that's I'm just not going to fight this battle. Yeah, my daughter didn't care, need to be she was, fought, so. like she
1: was
0: just proud to prance around. I also stressed a lot early on, I um do a lot and I write under sock pants and superheroes because when my kids were little, the boys would all dress like superheroes. And so literally they wore super suits everywhere. And then my daughter would wear sock pants, for which yeah. sock pants in our world were basically tights because they had, she called them sock pants because they were pants and socks built into one. But really, they were just tights and she would not put a skirt over the t- Top of them. And so finally, after a while, I was just like, you know what? Screw it. We're just going out as sock pants and superheroes. So my daughter would be wearing her, you know, sock, her tights in public with no skirts, and the boys would be prancing around wearing superheroes all over Walmart. So I am certain that I am on a video of people of Walmart. I'm certain that I probably have been featured in that lovely um, little spoofy YouTube video out there, People of Walmart, because we looked like a train wreck. Did you have, Nicole?
3: Yeah, um, I was going to say for me, it was shoes, um, keeping shoes on the kid. Yeah, Uh, I've gotten a lot of comments about it. And I tell him, like, you've got to wear shoes so people don't think I don't clothe you. In Germany, they're a lot more likely to just run around barefoot. And that helped me a lot. So if he goes to the park and he takes off his shoes and he's running up the slide with bare feet, I don't care anymore. Yeah, the shoes were
0: a big thing. Yeah, that is so true because you just don't see, you know, the, sh- the science, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, because people just have this thing to hang up in the, in the United States about wearing shoes. So yeah, you're right. My other thing that I used to get hung up on was report cards. Because all of a sudden, when you get the report cards and, you know, you have like my Caleb academically struggles. So when he would get the report cards home, it's just a lot of, you know, um, not meeting expectations. So he was getting a lot of the ones or needs, you know, needs work or whatever. And then, of course, you have, you know, his little sister or his older brothers. And they have these report cards that, of course, are all like, you know, what you would expect for a neurotypical kid that performs decent in school. And so I used to really stress the report cards of the, you know, Caleb, and and trying to do all this extra work with Caleb so that his report cards would reflect more of a, you know, a kid his age. And I finally got to the point where, you know, like maybe third grade, I just took the report cards and I never showed it to the kids. Like we don't talk about, we didn't talk about report cards. I never showed it to the kids. Um, I didn't use that as a measuring stick of, you know, their overall success. Um, if, you know, one of my neurotypical kids had a low grade or something, you know, I would just, you know, talk to the teacher and just find out what was going on. And I didn't, you know, I think kids will do well if they can do well. I don't think that kids go to school and decide, Oh, I just want to be like, you know, awful or, you know, like not put forth any effort. So for the longest time, it wasn't until we switched over to Spokane public schools and, um, Tyler got to middle school that we had this thing called power school where then the kids were logging it. Tyler had no idea what a report card was until he got to the seventh grade, because I just started taking the report cards and just, I would get them. I would read them. And I just had to, you know, really talk myself down off of the, this is not a reflection of my child and their future success. Even though when you go to those orientations for like the move up from middle school to high school or from elementary school to middle school, and then from middle school to high school, there's so much emphasis on, you know, your freshman year is, is a indicator of, you know, the success of these point at these points. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. And I, I really t- kind of tune it out because again, kids will do well if they can do well. If kids aren't doing well, then they're There's something that we need to be looking at. Maybe it's an accommodation or whatnot. And so the report cards is something I've really had to check myself in over the years. And the other thing too is, is that not every kid needs to go to college you know, there's lots of trades out there and very, very viable occupations out there that does not require you to go to college. And so that's another thing where going to college doesn't, is not an indicator of like success, life success. And there's lots of other things that you can do in life and have live a meaningful life and be able to still enjoy all of the, you know, experiences and liberties of life. And so, uh, I have had to really check myself on that expectation and not get wound up not to say that I don't want my kids to go to college because if they want to go to college, I think that's great. But if they don't want to go to college until they're, you know, maybe take a couple of years out of high school to discover what they want to do, or they want to explore the trades. Like I'm hundred percent supportive in that because I think we put too much emphasis on higher education being the end all and the measure of success. David, did you have something that you look like your eyes lit up there when I was hitting on some of those points?
1: Well, Holly, you know, I can always talk. Um, So, but it really feeds into a lot of the things. First of all, and this will all feed in together. Nicole, I'm not defending your husband, but maybe by way of explanation of the male brain, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around something we can't fix. And autism isn't fixable. And that's why I didn't want it to be autism because there was no fix. There was nothing I could do. There was no power I had over it to change the situation. So I thought you know, this isn't something I can make go away. That's why it took me. So, you know, and so the perception of that, um, and then Holly, you and I have had this conversation. I used to then my way of dealing with it, high functioning, optics. she's high functioning. She's, she's going to typical school because she's high functioning. And I've removed all that now, first and foremost, she has autism. I don't know what functioning it is. In some areas it's functioning better in others it's not. And I went from, you know, gosh, maybe if we get her up and going in a typical school, she'll appear more typical to like, now I'm like, is the day-to-day school even the best thing for her? If it's not, let's pull her out and put her in a place Now we haven't done that. I'm just like, I've gone from wanting to make sure that she fits into, you know, social norms to like, I'm, I'm pretty much opposed to it now, unless it's the best benefit to her if this data, I mean, because your experience, Holly, was kind of opposite of ours. We were in a class, in a class meeting, and it was very apparent that the teacher was telling us, oh, we just let resource take care of that. We don't expect a lot from her. And it was just like, well, you know what? I don't even know why we're having this parent-teacher conference and because it seems as though you have no interest in teaching. I have sympathy for teachers because of how many kids they have in the class, and the fact that she can't always get special care at the same time. And it was really revealed this year when Morgan had to be at home with her mother instituting a lot of the education. If you push her, she will respond. She may not like it, but I mean, all of a sudden she was getting to the point like, fine, mom, I'll just do it. Get out of here. Leave me alone. But it was like, because she was being pushed, because she wasn't being treated as somebody who wasn't capable So it really kind of shattered a lot of the illusions that we had. Getting back to like sweating the small stuff real quick though. um, You know, I just, we got to a point and it it was super liberating where the the mantra in our house is chaos is the new normal. And so if there is chaos going on, then we are functioning as a normal family, according to us, where that really ran into resistance is anytime we got together with, um, shall I say the in-laws, um, if they never listen. So, um, and the fact that it was all about keeping up appearances. We don't have a typical sit down structured meal. We try every once in a while and it lasts for about 10 minutes till everybody wants to go away. And then they come over and the expectation is we have to have a sit down structured meal. Well, guess what? I don't give two Fs about it, but to keep up appearances for my wife, you know, I would do it. Well, let's just say two years ago on a visit down there, the entire thing blew up. And it was probably the best thing that could have happened. I mean, one of the things that they frowned upon was the, our sleeping situation. No, the girls are supposed to be in this room. You're supposed to be in this room. Well, that's not how it was working in real life. So to try to force that upon us. And I got I, I, I got met with a lot of disdainful um, looks and stares because I was the one that made accommodations by going and sleeping on a couch. Well, guess what? That's what I normally do. But I mean, the disapproving looks and everything and the way it blew up. So the blowback on that is when we finally had a real conversation and I got to speak to my mother and I said, look, I understand um, our parenting looks nothing like yours. At the same time, Meg and I are a unified front on what we're doing and how we're doing it. Are we doing it perfect? No. But is this how we're doing it? Yes. And it's not going to change. So now it's on you as to whether or not you want to accept it or not. But I'd say like, if you'd like to have more access to your grandchildren, it would probably be better to get on board with it. Yeah. And so we are not sweating any of this stuff, the stuff that you're sweating. We don't own any of it. And and we're not going to own it anymore. Now that we're having this conversation, you know, just so you are fully aware, we're not doing this anymore.
0: Yeah. And to piggyback on your meal conversation is, is that, um, so I'm divorced and my ex-husband is very rigid about what his expectation is for sit down meals. I mean, no elbows on the table. You have to hold your silverware a certain way. There's certain conversation topics that you can talk about at the table, but largely most everything else is like not appropriate to talk about during dinner. And so my kids hate sit down meals. So at my house, I'm with you, David, I'm the, Hey, I put everything on the table. Everybody dishes up. Um, if someone's just feeling overwhelmed or just not in the right space and they don't want to sit at the table because they're annoyed, they whatever, whatever, you know, they may want to eat in a separate location. And I'm largely OK with that. If I can get everybody's butts in a table chair for even like three minutes and then someone bails or someone eats really fast and is done and they don't want to have to sit there. Because that's the other thing, too, is you have to sit at my ex-husband's house. You have to sit until everybody is done eating You know how painful that is when you're a special needs family. So my, I know it's just these really rigid expectations when it comes around mealtimes. And so I'm the, if you land and you eat this table for three minutes, like awesome. I also am pretty open to what people want to talk about at the table. And so, you know, different rules. And that's what I'm saying. I don't sweat the small stuff. Do I think that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis about like, you have to enforce, like sit down meals. And it's like, you know what? Like I said, if you have a button, a table, if we have everybody sitting at the table for the span of like three minutes, and then like before one bails, like I'm okay with that. And I don't sweat anymore. I don't think that that is a measurement of me being a bad person or that my kids are like, you know, monsters because they just, you know, unfortunately, because having those rigid expectations, my kids associate this sit down meal as being painful. It's like torture to them. And so I just don't sweat it anymore and I don't care. So good for you for having that conversation with your in-laws anybody else have a thought that parallels Taylor? I think
2: a big part of this, cause we don't really do sit down meals either. Um, the only time we really do sit down meals is when I go to my grandparents and luckily it it's, we're okay with it because it's their sit down is a lot more spread out. So it's not as uncomfortable. The reason why I don't, me and my family choose not to do a lot of sit down meals is, um, well, also it's the space we're in it. We're our, our tables in the kitchen, our dining room table, because we don't really have a dining area. So I don't really like, so I just kind of use, we just kind of use the table as we'll put food on it and we'll like, but uh, it gets, um, I think a big reason, especially for, I mean, I mean, it's not just doesn't apply to um, those with autism, but it's very, uh, I think it, it applies very well to those with autism is at dining room tables. I feel claustrophobic. Like I feel just like I don't have space to eat, you know? So I think that's a big part of the reason why sit down meals can be kind of hard because being elbow to elbow, someone trying to eat, especially for someone with special needs, trying to, it can be very uncomfortable at times. And that's just my, yeah. that's just my
0: add on to it. No, I totally agree. I have a ginormous dining room table and everybody spreads out to the point where you could probably park a dog like our ginormous, you know, great Pyrenees dog between everybody, which I think helps because yeah, nobody wants to be packed in there. I hate sitting in booths for that very reason. When people do you want a booth or a table table, always the table, because then you're not like packed in there and you can't move your elbows. So I'm with you. Are you guys ready for one of my next things that I have given up? David, you and I have talked about this before. So hopefully this resonates with you. Social groups. And this concept of what a social group should be for my kid, you know, like social interactions and and that sort of thing. So let me elaborate a little bit more. Probably at the Isaac Foundation, there's not, there is not a week that goes by that I don't have someone reaching out to me asking about, like, is there any social groups in our area for kids on the autism spectrum? And I'm going to be honest with you early on, you know, I really tried to focus at the Isaac Foundation about creating some social group opportunities for our kids that have special needs. But now as time has gone by, my idea and perspective of what an appropriate social group is for our loved ones has changed significantly because I feel largely what we're doing is we're taking our neurotypical perspectives of what social interaction should be. And we're kind of forcing it onto our kids with special needs. And so with that being said, do I think there's a time and a place to be working on social skill building? Yes. I do think that there's lots of teachable moments throughout a day. And even in the context of a school day that you can work, on, you know, social interaction, you know, strategies. But when we talk about social groups for being really honest and David, you and I have talked about this is that my kid has, is perfectly happy being in the room with other kids playing one of their interests. Um, for instance, Roblox Roblox is something that Caleb likes to play, but it's a technology-based activity. So he's utilizing his iPad or his phone to play Roblox, but being in the same room and interacting and talking like, you know, Oh no, like, Oh, I'm going to go over here and do this. Or, Hey, you want to go into this room and play this game? That's his level of social, like of a social group. And so for me to sit there and insert myself and start then kind of changing what and the dynamics and how like, okay, so let's put devices down. And let's like, actually like play a game together. Newsflash, they don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like maybe I could get them to go outside and play Pokemon Go because Pokemon, but again, that's still some technology based where you're outside and you're looking for the Pokemons like in the park and stuff. But I just think that, you know, my expectations of like social groups. um, The other thing that I have found is, is that um, Caleb doesn't want to do social groups. Like if I was to say, Hey, there's a social group that's like getting together and they're going to work on social skills. You're going to be like, don't want to go. And that's the thing is that, you know, like when you build these things as a neurotypical person, or neurotypical people. We build these social groups because it's going to be so great and they're going to learn how to socially interact. We've already screwed it up because we're really actually not looking at their natural interests and their desire and what social interaction looks like for our kids with special needs that have social differences. And so if I was to build something that has like a social group and I was going to say, Caleb, we're going to go and do this. We're going to interact with other kids that have autism. His desire to do that is zero. He doesn't want to do it. Now, if I say, Hey, we're going to get online with a group of people and play among us in a private room. Like there's going to be 10 of us. He is all over it. And guess what? He's talking, he's interacting, but it's in the context of a natural interest that he has. And I'm also like taking away like social expectate, like social interaction expectations. And so guess what? If I was to say, Hey, you want to get online and play among us with a bunch of like Isaac foundation kids. He's going to be like, totally. If I say, Hey Caleb, you want to go down the Isaac foundation and do a like social club with other kids that have autism. He's going to be like, Nope. Don't want to do that. Right. Because he, in his mind, he's like, oh, socializing is work and I don't want to do that. So my sweating the small stuff and trying to find all of these like groups and, you know, working with the different clinics in Spokane to get Caleb integrated in a social group. I don't sweat it anymore because I feel like I can create, if I'm using his natural interests, I can create other social opportunities for him that he's going to actually enjoy. And actually, even though we don't think they're getting meaningful interaction because it's technology-based, they actually are. And isn't it okay for them to be themselves and be able to do some of the things that they like to do instead of us projecting what our expectation of social interaction should be? So David, I know you and I have had a conversation about this. Caleb and Morgan are very similar in just um, some of their interests. So do you
1: agree disagree um yeah i mean they have a certain threshold and they're going to tell you and you can try to force them to expand upon it force them to increase their capacity and and you'll get the response you know and generally then i have to ask myself is this really for me or is this for her and so we've gotten to the point where like we will get her to a destination like a friend's house and then when she says she wants to go, we tell the friend, we're going to take her home or I'll take her home. We'll be right back. We're not doing that now because of the seizure issue that just came up. But up until recently, she was perfectly capable of going back home and sitting by herself for a couple hours. And she loved it. She's like, no one in the house, me and my iPad. Awesome. And so like, it, it was a win-win for everybody. And everyone's like, oh, no, does she really have to go? And it's like, yeah, she does. Like, cause I mean, otherwise I'm going to be miserable. She's going to be miserable. I'm going to sit here and try to convince her why she wants to be here when she doesn't, you know, she's given us everything she can in this scenario. She has nothing left. And so now we, and so again, with the recent seizure issue, we have to be more careful, but up until recently, yeah, it was just like, she makes the call. And quite honestly, it was a better scenario for everybody.
0: Yeah. And that's just it. Caleb is completely content. When we went on our trip to Arizona, you know, we let the kids kind of decide and try and at least give us indicators of what we would do on each day. And there was one day that it was decided we were going to go and be like, on the sandy beach next to the water. And believe it or not, there is air water in Arizona. We were on Lake Powell. So before you think to yourself, like, wait, you're in Arizona and you went to the yes, we were at on the sandy beach in Arizona on Lake Powell. But Caleb was just like, I don't want to go. I just want to stay in the camper because he would have unrestricted Wi-Fi and he could watch what he wanted on the TV. And you know what? I let him stay behind. Because yeah, it's supposed to be a family vacation, but you know what? it's okay to have a break too. And so I was like, sure. So he will tell you that his favorite day on the vacation was the day that he got to stay in the camper and we went to the lake without him. And, you know, again-
1: even making that statement, like it's supposed to be a family vacation. It is. This is how our family does vacation. Yeah.
0: So I didn't sweat it. You know, I didn't feel bad about the fact that he was there by himself for four hours. Like, you know, he has a phone. He would have called us. There is a problem. So I don't sweat those social, like those social group and social interaction opportunities anymore, because you know what, when he can operate in a social world, that's comfortable for him, he is building social interaction skills, while be it virtually, he's still building skills. It just looks different. What about you, Taylor? I
2: Couldn't agree with you more. I feel like when it's pushed on a kid, it'll go backwards. It's like, it's literally the opposite tactic that works. You know what I mean? You let them do that and then they come to you. I kind of get about not wanting to be in a, in group setting, you know, I mean, especially not, not only as a, a kiddo with autism, but going into their teen years as a, as a young man, you know, and it's, it just can be awkward. I remember going to social groups when I was young with the kids at off with other kiddos and, you know, it, I felt really awkward. And so did the other kids. Like it just, we felt like I, it kind of felt like the opposite of what it should be. Like, I'm kind of glad that you brought up that you found his own way of social interaction that works with him. And when you let them do that, you show him that you love him that way. You, you, that's, that's a great
0: way to show him. Well, this. Thank you. What about you, Nicole, how do you feel? What's your feeling on the social group piece?
3: My son is five, so my opinion may change over time. He's very, very social. He's friendly. But this thing like playing tag with another kid and the other kid decides that they don't want to play tag anymore. He keeps going and it winds up causing issues. How do I want to word this? Social expectations is what I struggle with and telling people, Whatever they're thinking may be inappropriate for him. When we go visit family, it is the South and they're set in their ways and have opinions on things like a relative that he's never met before or hasn't seen very often wanting to hug him and him saying no. And then be like, my dad was like, told him not to be rude, that he needed to hug my stepmother's mother. And I told him, I was like, no, he said, no, it's his body. You could wave goodbye instead of hugging goodbye and i don't care that they got mad about it um i just know how he is
1: yeah that's if you're ever curious how to word things around here by the way nicole you word them bluntly that's what we do here so yeah don't hold back
0: (sighs) this is our podcast we can do whatever the heck we want right david yeah no i agree What about the, one of the things, David, you've talked about too, and you alluded to in this podcast was just the technology use. Like I've really stressed like the use of screen time, um, because of course, you know, I don't think that a lot of screen time is really healthy, but on the other hand too, it's like, you know, we have kids with special needs and again, how they find social interaction is different than others. And so it's really hard. My ex-husband and I have differences of opinion in terms of how much screen time is appropriate. But again, because Caleb doesn't have any like friends that are actually here in Spokane. His friends tend to be people that he has met in like the, you know, um, the World Wide web because he plays games with them. It's really hard for me then, because when you start limiting some of his technology access, then you're also limiting some of that social interaction that he has to interact with his peers. And so, you know, I have had to really kind of balance it of, I, you know, offer different opportunities, but at the end of the day, you know, Again, I'm trying to teach him how to, you know, like take a break and different things like that. But I don't spend as much time that he spends on technology because again, I look at it more of, it is social based for him. It's not like he's just playing a video game and there's no social interaction. So I've just had to kind of put that in perspective and rationalize it. I don't know if you guys have, David, I know you probably have had, you Morgan very much loves technology. So I don't know if like, that's kind of the small stuff that you don't sweat anymore and let her be her, her natural interest is her natural interest. I'm never going to change the fact that Caleb's natural interest is technology. So I don't really sweat people's, you know, comments and judgments and all of those, you know, research papers and school studies that tell us that we need to keep our kids off of technology, which is kind of preposterous now during COVID world, because let's be real, we're all on technology now. But before COVID, you know, you would get more more judgments and articles with you about why you should limit your child's screen time. But David, do you have any feelings on that?
1: You know, some, some of my best interactions with Morgan, some of the connections she wants to play um, natural disaster survival on Roblox. Dad, you want to play natural disaster with me? Do you want to see the latest graces world? That's some of our biggest connection because that's what she connects with. So I could say, no, that's not appropriate. Why don't we go play baseball? And, you know, in her own way, she'll tell me to go to hell. Like, so did I miss the opportunity for a connection here? Or do I meet her where she's at? And I mean, we talked about some of the stereotypical shows, but one of the first thing ever said in the show Parenthood where they had a child with autism is like, meet them where they are. Don't try to bring them to where you are. And that always stuck. It's like, okay, this is where she wants to meet me. And she has about a half hour tolerance of me until she wants me to go away and she wants to be alone with it again. Mm -hmm. Um, but some of our most meaningful interactions, some of our best times, some of our biggest moments of connection are because of technology because that's what she's into. Now, am I secretly as a dad hoping that she stumbles across something that's going to make her millions of dollars because she connected with technology and she can take care of all of us? Sure. Um, Is that going to happen? Probably not. But at the same time, it's like, who am I to discourage something? And yes, all the experts are going to find something that you know and the next study is going to say something different. I cracked up with you Taylor when you looked on Google. I'm sure if you looked on Google, your child had cancer diabetes uh, Tourette's epilepsy, and also was you know I mean that's that's what we do but technology can be a wonderful thing, but as far as the studies and everything you know to be determined we're we're still so new to this,
0: yeah, agreed.
2: Yes, Taylor. I kind of, it kind of, it makes me kind of laugh because there's all these studies of don't do this, don't do that for your health, do, do, you know, do this, do that. And I, and I, and I saw this meme or something. We're all worried about certain natural things or, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And I'm like, well, regardless, I'm going to die somehow. Well, it doesn't matter. We're all, we all have the same grave. Life yeah. is short. Life is short for me to worry about all these little things that are going to kill me or not kill me and I'm like you know what we're all just gonna go on under uh, we're all gonna go under dirt eventually you know
0: (laughs) that is true how about you Nicole is your son into technology yes he likes Minecraft oh Minecraft yes
3: he likes Among Us too but he he can't
0: um spell or anything yet so like among us chat he can't do that's why so nicole we are doing online we do it in a room because then you don't have to chat you can say okay call a meeting and then you can just use the zoom room to then talk about what you think because then you don't have to chat i'm with you like if you can't chat and, and text and stuff then it's kind of a big downer so you'll have to tune into one of our among us nights when we do it because he might actually have a good time
1: we will
3: definitely do that with minecraft i've gotten comments about it to me it's a kid-friendly game he if you ask him to count he acts like you are killing him but if something happens and like I move one of his sheep he's like mom there were six sheep here so I know he can count and yes. ask to use Minecraft to help him count and learn his letters and stuff
0: Well, they say interest-based learning is the way of the future. And I 100% agree. If you could sit there and build their curriculum around Minecraft and have it be related to Minecraft, like it would be like counting, alphabet, like spelling, even in the context of Minecraft, it would be incredible. I think it's possible. I definitely think it's possible. Well, we have talked about many things. I have a long laundry list of other ones that I no longer sweat that I could be bringing up, but I also recognize we have been on here for quite a while. Is there any final thoughts that you have, David, about sweating the small steps and any gems that you want to share with our listeners?
1: You know, again, I just, I think in what I said to Taylor earlier, regardless of the experts out there, you are the expert in your child. And so you get to determine what the world looks like, the world that you set around them, and everything else just kind of falls away now, is it's you know does it wound you? does it hurt a little bit if all of a sudden certain friends are hanging out with you less because you know every time you go to somebody's house, you have to clear like you have a dog or a cat? I mean that conversation I don't even care about anymore yeah. you know do you have a dog or a cat? If so, can you make you know arrangements to have them elsewhere, otherwise we either can't come or she has to stay at home you know I just you advocate for your child. Some of these things are going to be a little painful as you go along, but the more you do it, it just, it just becomes part of your routine. It is your life. This is what my life looks like. Is this what I intended on? No, but I mean, they all just become smaller. The things that at first really eat at you and like, why did this, it just, you know, you, you develop a little bit of an armor. Maybe I become a little callous, but it's just like, Hey, this is us. Here's where our chaos is coming to your house. Be prepared. Yeah.
0: And here's, I firmly believe is that if they truly love you and want you in their life, they're going to get with the program. And then if it's just too much for them and they can't be a part of your life in an active way, well, then in the long run, it's probably better for you. Because again, if you're stressing out, and have a lot of anxiety about that relationship, they're just providing you with more feedback than you need. It's a toxic relationship and anybody needs to limit that. So I agree 100%. How about you, Taylor? Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. I kind of
2: agree with David too. And kind of Nicola. It, it just kind of what we all said, just literally, literally ties together like a book. It's pretty cool, pretty cool. The, especially when it comes to family members and, you know, and since we're on the podcast, you know, especially recording, um, you know, and I'm not saying this is all, you know, older folks. It's not, it's not all, you know, not all older folks or people are like this, but they tend to get more, offended by certain behaviors or if, or the not hugging them or the not sitting at the, t- you know, I mean, I've been there and done and doing that. And I'm just kind of getting to a point where it, it just causes more anxiety than I desire. Um, yeah. you know, and I don't like the forcing to hug thing because, uh, what makes what, what concerns me about that is if tra- that can be very traumatizing if you force physical contact because it teaches a t- child that they can't that they have to consent to physical contact and that's can be very damaging. <laughs> so it's a slippery slope, um, it's a slippery slope yeah. you're reinforcing so something
0: they don't desire. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So if if people, if the unfortunately if family members or even any members can't accept that it's just better to stay away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. In my opinion. So I agree. How about Nicole? Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up this episode with sweating
3: the small things? I have to stop myself and ask myself, is it something that's going to continue being an issue? Am I worried about it because of appearances? And if it is because of appearances, it just goes back to, um, and ask someone for their advice. Don't take their criticism. And um my mom and I are the only ones in my son's life. And
0: any other opinions, I kind of just they're trash, I guess. That's pretty much my I think that is such, I I actually wrote it down because I was going to have the girls look into finding that quote, because I think that is so powerful. Nicole, again, if you wouldn't take their advice, then why would you accept their criticism? I think that is so powerful and that's true. And I think exactly what you're saying is, is that, is this because of appearance sake? You know, there are things to be stressing about, you know, one of the things I think that I spend a lot of time sweating and I don't think it's the small stuff is transition from high school, getting Kayla prepared to transition out of high school, because it's like a big black hole out there. So, you know, I'm going to put my energy in and working on that and and trying to figure, help him be the best he can be. So he's ready to launch from high school and be successful and have deci- or successful and decide, you know, to have a plan for what he wants to do. And I'm just not going to put energy into sweating some of these little things because, you know, it doesn't serve me well. So, well, thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild. We thank you for listening. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.